Welcome to an incredible word from Pastor Marcus Dunham, Associate Pastor here at Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Southeast Texas. We're so glad you're joining us. For more information about Golden Triangle Church on the Rock Ministries, visit our website, cotr.com. Enjoy the word. Today, we are in part six of our uh, our lessons from First Thessalonians series that we have been doing. Uh, I've really enjoyed it, and I feel like I have learned a lot just in my own personal study. And uh, my prayer is that you as well have grown from it as well. But um, as I said, we're going to be in, this is part six, and, and uh, next Sunday, um, if, um, if that may be, we have one more part uh, of part seven in our seven-part series. So, but we're going to be in chapter five, which is the last chapter of 1 Thessalonians. And uh, I will save my title for just a moment as uh, I see a few new faces in here. So we're going to do a quick review just so uh, anybody who uh, has not been here can just catch up a little bit. So um, the, the book of 1 Thessalonians is in the New Testament. It was written by Paul the Apostle. And uh, it was written to a church in a city called Thessalonica. And Thessalonica is found in modern-day Greece, if you uh, know a little bit about Europe. If not, you can look it up. You can see on the map there. And, uh, and today it is known as Thessaloniki. And uh, in its time, it was a major city that attracted people from all different walks of life from all different cultures, all different religions. You know, it makes me think of Houston. You know, Houston, H-Town, you know what we call it down here. H-Town, you know, it is filled with so many different cultures and customs and religions and things like that. And I imagine Thessalonica was like that. It was a very mo- a, a metropolitan city, if you would say. And uh, Paul, the apostle, uh, you know, it makes sense why he, why he chose Thessalonica to go and to share the word of God because people were coming through and going through Thessalonica. So it was a great place for, you know, to share the word of God, to share the gospel so that it would spread throughout uh, Asia. And so um, uh, we find Paul in, uh, in Thessalonica in um, Acts chapter 16. I love the, the fact, you know, just to take a step back for just a moment, I love knowing the history, you know, learning the history in the background, really about anything, but especially the Word of God, because I feel like it brings it to life a little bit. You guys know what I mean? You know, it's like, it's like getting to know you personally. As I get to know you and your background, your history, your upbringing, you know, it really brings to light, you know, more about who you are, and it's the same with the Word of God. And Acts does that for many, you know, for many of the uh, books in the New Testament, and, and, and 1 Thessalonians is, is one of those, and so along with 2 Thessalonians. But um, Paul, he is there, and uh, we, we find him there about A.D. 51, and uh, in Acts chapter 17, it has Paul reasoning with some of the Jewish people in the synagogue. He did this. This was normal for him. It was where he mostly, where he usually would start whenever he would you know, uh, start fresh in a city. And it says that he was reasoning there for three weeks. And now he was there longer than three weeks, but it says there in the passage that he was there reasoning for three weeks. And it says that some of those Jews got saved. 
They gave their lives to Jesus. And he also shared the gospel with some of the Gentiles, meaning people who are not Jewish. And some of those people got saved. And then he started a church. And he began to pour into this young church and begin to uh, teach them the word of God and disciple them and encourage them and bring them up in the word. And, uh, and they really grew mightily and strong in their faith. But this started to rub some people the wrong way, specifically some Jewish teachers of the law. And they began to cause some issues and some problems for Paul, Timothy, Silas, and Luke was with them. He's the one who recorded um, the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, is, um, is also uh, the writer of Acts. And, and, and whoever else was with this team, so much so, he caused so much trouble for them and that young church that Paul had to leave. They had to flee. And, and they left. And the Bible says they went to Berea and they went to a couple of the cities and eventually... Paul was really concerned for the church in Thessalonica, let alone that they were just a young church, but they were being persecuted by the same people that, that ran them out of town. And um, uh, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 fills us in on what happens after Acts 17, and it tells us that Paul was concerned, and so he sent his trusted disciple Timothy, and he went back, and he went to check on the church. He wanted to make sure that they were doing well. He wanted to make sure that they were still strong in their faith, that they were still standing on the word of God. And so, Paul, and so Timothy went on Paul's orders, and his job was to encourage and exhort them and bring back a report. And the Bible says that after some time, he came back to Paul, and, um, and he let them know that the church in Thessalonica was doing well. That even though that they were being persecuted, even though that things were hard and difficult for them, they did not deny the word of God. They still stood strong in their faith. And Timothy shared, with, shared a few other things with them. And the Bible says that, or, or, and after he heard those things, he went ahead and he penned a letter to the Thessalonians, which is where we get the first uh, book, uh, um, is where we get First Thessalonians. And so real quick, a quick review through the first four chapters. Chapter one, Paul, he is commending the church there. He's wanting to thank them and commend them for their faith. You know, these were guys who were setting an example for their faith. I mean, the, he says that the surrounding cities, which the closest city was 40 miles away, they didn't have cars back then. <laughs> you know, you do the math in your head. I mean, 40 miles away, and people heard about their faith. And it encouraged them so much so that they looked at them and thought, if they can stand for Jesus and they can live for him with what they're going through, then so can I. And it encourages us that today people watch you and your faith, what you are going through, as you continue to go through it, people are encouraged and they know that if you can do it, so can I. Let us remember that people are watching us. Amen. Chapter 2. Paul defends, he, he begins defending himself against some of his enemies, probably the same people who ran him out of town, um, as they were casting accusations on him and his team, that they were failures, that they were fakes. But Paul, he was not too concerned about this because he knew that they were just worthless accusations. They, they did not hold weight with God. And, uh, and he, of course, set the record straight. And it reminds us that we have an enemy, too, who, want, who likes to cast accusations on you before God. But the truth is that your failures, what the devil, excuse me, what the devil calls a failure, God calls, God calls obedience. 
You know, sometimes when we serve God and it feels like we haven't done a good job, we've done our part. God, he wants us to do our part. And of course, we do it according to what he has called us to do. And when we do our best, we can trust that God, he is going to do the rest. Because the truth is that the, at the end of the day, accusations are worthless when it comes from the enemy. Because the truth is in the blood. Amen. You have been covered. Chapter 3, Paul commends them again for their love for one another. And he reminds them, uh, or he shares a prayer with them that they would abound in love. Uh, for one another, and also that they would be blameless in holiness. And that was his prayer, and this prayer for them, the prayer for them is also the prayer for us, that we would abound in love. And when we increase Jesus in our life, we're going to see love grow in our life. We're going to see um, um, holiness grow in our life. If we don't get in the way and we allow God to grow in us, that's just what's going to happen. The Holy Spirit is going to produce it in our life. We just got to stay out the way. And then chapter 4, Paul, he is, um, he is writing and and he, he begins the more practical part of this book. You know, the first three chapters are more personal. And in chapter 4 and 5, it's more practical. He's giving instructions. And here, he's addressing one of the reports. There, you know, uh, some of the believers that were there in that church had died while Paul and his team were away. And uh, one of the things that he taught on was the coming of the Lord, that Jesus was coming back. And they were distraught because they imagined that because they had died that they were going to miss out on the rapture. But Paul, he wanted to encourage them to let them know that while Jesus is coming back for the living, he is also coming back for the dead. In fact, he says that the dead will rise first whenever Jesus comes back. And it gives us comfort. And it gave them comfort knowing that those who have gone before us that they have a promise in Christ that they will spend eternity with Jesus and also that we will one day get to see them again. Amen? That is our promise, and that is what the Word of God tells us. Amen? That is our portion. And that brings us to chapter 5. And the title of the message this morning is Prepare for the Day of the Lord. Prepare for the Day of the Lord. Just yesterday, I was telling somebody that as I was studying it, it was on my heart. But we'll talk about that in just a moment. Uh, chapter 5, it says, uh, in, in chapter 5, Paul, he is continuing his talking points from chapter 4. As I mentioned before, he's talking about how Jesus is coming back. That that is a reality. Jesus is coming back. And he wanted to let them know that to be looking forward to it and to be encouraged by it. And Paul, he is continuing the same vein but he does switch a little bit. In chapter 4, the target audience was us as believers. Directly, it was us as believers. But in chapter 5, his target audience changes a little bit. It actually really directly was not about us as believers. Now, I could explain, but I'd rather go to the text. And so we're going um, to take this verse by verse and... Um, Remember, he is, he is, this is the practical portion of this. And so he, here he's giving instructions. And we're going to be in the New King James Version this morning. I, um, I preferred uh, the wording um, uh, of this. I, for the most part, I've preached out of the ESV. But uh, New King James Version, I mean, you really can't get better than that. So, uh, but we're going to be in the New King James Version. We're going to begin in verse 1. So here we go. 
It says this, uh, chapter 5, verse 1 of 1 Thessalonians. He says, But concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. Concerning the times. So he's, he says, but concerning the times. He, he, we have to remember that when Paul wrote this letter, he didn't include chapters and verses when he wrote this. This was all one letter. So he's continuing the same thought. Of course, we added that in there for better reference so that we can reference the Word of God better. But he's continuing this. And he says, he's con- ta- con- concerning the, uh, the coming of Christ, he says, the times and the seasons, concerning the times and the seasons, you have no need that I should write to you. Now, again, we know that Paul, as I mentioned before in this series, that Paul, when he was there in Thessalonica, he was teaching them the word of God. And this is one of the teaching points that he talked about was that Jesus was coming back. And so there was an understanding that they knew this topic of some sort, but I don't believe that that's the reason why he said that you have no need that I should write to you, because that would imply that they know everything there is to know, and that's not obviously true. So why did he write that? Why was he saying that you have no need that I should write to you? Well, he says concerning the times and seasons, concerning the coming of Christ. He says that concerning the times, that word times is the word chronos in the Greek, which means passage, the pa- passage of time or the duration of time. And that word seasons is the word kairos in Greek, which, is, which means the characteristics or the events of a time period. So here he's talking about the time and the characteristics, the events concerning the time of the coming of the Lord. He says, you have no need that I should write to you. Now, why is that? He tells us in verse 2, he says, For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Now, he says that he comes as a thief in the night. In other words, he's saying that he is going to come unexpectedly. You know, the reason why I don't need to write to you about this is because you know that no one knows. No one knows when he is coming. He is going to come when it's time. You know, I remember in 2020, you know, we all thought, man, Jesus was coming. I mean, I thought so. You know, I, I, I mean, it felt like. I mean, the world about to end, it felt like. But, you know, uh, it says here that no one knows. And here, as he says, he comes as a thief in the night. You know, when a thief, you know, a thief does not announce when he's going to rob a house. You know, he's not putting on Facebook, hey, by the way, guys, <laughs> I'm going to so-and-so's house. Watch what I'm going to do. You know, they're not going to do that. You know, they're not going and knocking on the doors, letting people know. He's not letting people know the time that he's going to come. No, he's going to come unexpectedly. He's going to come at night. Now, he's not saying that Jesus is coming at night because if it's night here, it's daytime somewhere else. That's not what he's saying. He's talking about him coming unexpectedly. And he says the day of the Lord. What is the day of the Lord? You know, some, some uh, scholars refer to different, you know, they kind of argue about what the day of the Lord is. But I believe that this is a continuation of what Jesus was, you know, or, or what Paul was talking about concerning the coming of Christ. And that is what the day of the Lord is. What I believe is that he is speaking of the day when he comes. Now, the word day also there loosely refers to the end time events, okay? It's, it's kind of unraveling of what's going to happen. But generally, he's talking about 
when Jesus is coming back. The day of the Lord. And what is true about the day of the Lord is that it is the day of salvation for God's people. It is the day that if you have placed your faith in Jesus, that is the day that we know that he is coming to gather his people and take them home. That is the truth. That is the day of the Lord. And while that is true, it is true that the day, that, that the day of the Lord is the day of salvation for you and I. It is also the day of judgment and destruction for the unbelieving world. There is a, there is a positive and there is, there is a happy and there's also a sad truth there. Which is why we are talking about preparing for the day of the Lord. You know, it is a reality that Jesus is coming back for us. But those who have yet to receive Jesus, that word yet is important. Those who have yet to receive Christ, at the moment, the day of the Lord is the day of judgment. Specifically meaning that he is going to unravel in time events. So, here... He talks about a thief in the night. Now, verse 3, let's continue on. He says this, For when they say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. Now, he uses the word they. So who is Paul talking about when he says the word they? Again, as I mentioned before, in chapter 4, the audience was two believers. And here, he says they. Before, he was talking about we, and now he's talking about they. Who is he speaking about? Paul, in his writings, anytime, for the most part, when he talks about us and we, he's referring to the church. He's referring to us as believers. And any, and, but when he is speaking about they and them, for the most part, he is talking about unbelievers. Here, he says that when they say peace and safety, when the unbelieving world says peace and safety, you know, in 2020, we weren't saying peace and safety, man. It was crazy. This right here, I believe, is a sign for when Jesus is going to come. That is a sign, as I can tell now looking back, that that was not a time that Jesus was going to come because nobody was saying peace and safety. But there is going to come a day where things are going to look great. Things are going to be going wonderful. There's going to be peace. It's going to seem as there is peace and there's going to seem as there is safety. But these words don't imply true peace and safety, but a false, a false security, a blind safety, an absence of alarm. Everything will seem fine and that is the the. The, uh, the foundation of when Jesus it, it is the perfect, what is the word I'm looking for? It is the perfect situation for Jesus to come. When they say, or when they're saying peace and safety, when they're saying that, it says, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant. Now, now listen, I know a lot about, I know a lot about labor pains. <laughs> that was a joke. <laughs> I know my wife knows a lot about <laughs> labor pains, you know, and um, what I know is that I, I, I see her, I, you know, I remember 
watching her smile, and all of a sudden it was like, whoa. <laughs> all of a sudden, you know, the, you know, just all of a sudden, it was sudden. It was unexpected. She, did, she couldn't really tell when they were going to come next, but when they came, oh, she could tell it was there. <laughs> she could tell. And in the same way, you know, we, we, we won't know. He will come unexpectedly. And it says for the unbelieving world, he will come suddenly. But in verse 4, he then refers to you, to us, to we, the church, brethren. He says, you are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. For unbelievers, it's going to come suddenly and it's going to be like a thief in the night. That they will not be prepared, they will not know what is happening, but it's going to come and overtake them as sudden destruction. But he says that you are not in darkness, that you are not in the dark about these things, that you know the truth, that you would not know that Jesus is coming, and it is not going to be a sudden overtaking for us. That's not what it is for us. He says in verse 5, For you all are sons of light, sons of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. That is not who we are. We are not in the dark about these things. We are in the light. We are children of light. And we know the truth that Jesus is coming back. And because of this, verse 6, he says, Let us not sleep as others do. Let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, in verse 7, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. Because we know the truth. He says, let us not sleep. Let us not be lulled into a slumber. Let us not allow ourselves to be clouded in judgment. When you get drunk, your your judgment is... You know, it's clouded. You know, your mind is like a brain fog. He says, let us not become so wrapped up in life that we forget that Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Man, just saying it, when I was thinking about this yesterday and I was was thinking it, it was just like, he is. He's coming. That's right. Pastor Ron said that. He's coming in our lifetime. Isn't that right? He's coming in our lifetime. Whether he is coming in our lifetime or he's coming in my lifetime. (laughs) You know, whether he's coming while I'm alive or when I pass. Either way, Jesus is coming. And because of that, Paul is encouraging them to be ready. You know, if somebody told you that a thief was coming to your home. If somebody told you that, I know that Royce, I know, I know what Royce is going to do. He's going to have his shotgun ready. He's going to have everything ready. He's going to be sitting on his rocker chair waiting. Like, you, you dare. Come on. We, if, somebody, if somebody told you, listen, we ain't going to sleep. No, we're going to be ready. Lights are going to be on. We're going to be armed. Our eyes, we're going to be alert. We're going to be waiting for that joker because we know that not in my house. No, we're going to be ready. And because as believers, we know that Jesus is coming, Paul is encouraging us today 
that we be ready, that we be alert. So how do we do that? He says that we must be sober. Verse 8, he tells us, Let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Verse 9, For God did not appoint us, at, appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He tells us to be sober, to be clear-headed, to not allow our mind to be clouded and to be fogged. How do we do that? He tells us here four things that we can do to be ready, to prepare for the day of the Lord. Because that is what he is talking about here. Let us be prepared for the day of the Lord. How can we do that? Four things. Number one is to build your faith. He says to put on faith. To put on faith. It's important to prepare, in order to prepare for the day of the Lord, that we build our faith. And that's important because faith, at the end of the day, if you think about it, is all we have. It is our connection to God. Faith is what connects us to Him. It's what we have, and it's important. And let me tell you, the devil will do whatever he can to kill your faith. He'll do whatever he can. So how do we build our faith? The Word of God tells us in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, it says that so faith comes by hearing, and hearing what? By the Word of God. The Word of God is the source of our faith. If we want to grow in our faith, we need the Word in our life. The Word of God will grow our faith. It, will, it is the source, the only source for the growth of our faith. We can read books that are inspiring. We can read quotes that are great. We can encourage each other and, and give each other words of encouragement. That will build our soul. It will make us feel better, but it will not build our faith. Only the Word of God can do it. And the devil will do whatever he can to keep us out of the Word. To keep us hearing the word. Because he knows it's the source of our faith. He'll make us busy. He'll make us tired. He'll make it boring. You know, he'll do what he can to, I'll do it later. But if he can keep the word of God from our grasp, he knows that he can keep our faith from growing. But as we prepare for the day of the Lord, we need the word of God so we can grow our faith. Let's grow our faith. Let's allow the Word of God to build us up. Let's allow, as, as, as I used to say when we were younger, you know, you know, allow the Word of God to charge you up, you know, to, to, to begin to build up because if not, our faith will wane. It'll begin to slowly wane. But the Word of God allows us to trust in Him to rely on him, to have faith in him, so that no matter what we are facing, we know who is on the throne. And it keeps perspective to know that he is on the throne, that he is in control and that we can trust in him. Amen? So number one, to be prepared for the Lord, we need faith. We need to build our faith. Number two is to put on love. We must put on love. 
as we prepare for the day of the Lord, we must put on love. That's what Paul said. He says, putting on the breastplate of faith and love. Apparently, faith was not enough. We also need love. Now, that's important because, you know, the love, God's people is characterized by his love. Or at least we should be. We are char- God's people is characterized by love. That is who he is. Especially as we get closer. You know, I just think about this. 2,000 years ago, they were saying Jesus is coming back. It's been 2,000 years. We are 2,000 years closer. I mean, really, he can come at any time. He really can. But the, the truth here, he is saying that, that we must put on love, especially now, because his people are characterized by love. And in fact, Jesus said it. He said it in its antithesis. He says in Matthew chapter 20, verse 24, verse 12, talking about the end times, he says that sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold. The love of many will grow cold. The world is cold. It may look like love, but it's not. He's telling us here that we have to be careful not to be heavily influenced by the culture and customs of the world because it will make us grow cold. Not just towards God, but especially in our love. Our love for God and our love for one another and our love for others. He says that the love of many will grow cold. But God's people, we are characterized by his love. Let us pray for one another. Let us help one another. Let us encourage one another. And as we grow, as the Word of God is feeding our soul, love is going to abound in our life. That's what 1 Thessalonians was telling us in this series. We talked about it in chapter 3, that, his, that as we feel Jesus in our life, love is going to grow. It's going to abound as we fill ourselves with, with Him. But we must put on love as we prepare for the day of the Lord. Number three, we must set our minds on our future hope. The truth is that when you gave your life to Jesus, you were saved. Since you've placed your life in, since you've given your life to Jesus, you are being saved. And when Jesus comes back, you will be saved. We, it, it, it will be, you know, the deal will be done. It's official. It is done. You will be saved. That is our reality. And hope is a major theme in 1 Thessalonians as we talked about that. And at the end of the day, hope is the thing that we have to hold on to. It's the thing that anchors our soul. And Paul encouraged the Thessalonians to hope. Now, there are a lot of times where we don't like to hope because we don't want to get our hopes up. And there are things we probably shouldn't hope in. But this is not one of those. We should place our hope in Jesus. Let us set our minds on our future hope. And then number four, share Jesus with others. As we prepare for the day of the Lord, let us 
build our faith. Let us put on love. Let us set our minds on our future hope. And number four, let us share Jesus with others. He says in verse 9, for God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have obtained salvation through Christ. And God's goal was not for it to stop with us. A way that we can prepare for the day of the Lord is to make sure that others are ready. To make sure that others are ready. Yesterday I was, um, I was with uh, John Brack, him, uh, him, and Jessica got married yesterday, man. I know they're not here, but, it, but we, I was so excited to see that. But, you know, we went to Five Under yesterday, and um, as we were there, there was a young man that I ran into that me and my wife, we met on our anniversary at Saltgrass. He worked there. In fact, he's a friend, or he's a roommate of one of, a, of, one of the, the families here at our church. Their son is roommates with them. And, and when we were at Saltgrass, you know, in October, you know, we were talking, you know, you know we got to know, his, you know, you know, his, you know, you know, about him and his life and all of that. And eventually, you know, um, you know, you know, he ended up having to leave, and, you know, yada, yada. Well, I ran into him yesterday, and we started talking. And I was like, man, you know, you should come to church sometime. And, he, and, he, and, he, and it got him talking, you know, about some things. And you could just tell that some things were stirring in his heart and stirring in his life. And so I began to ask him some questions. And he asked me some questions, and I told him about how I came to Jesus. And he asked, so what did you, say, like, what did you do? And I told him the three things that I realized, I repented, and I received. And he was thinking about that. And there at five under, he wanted to give his life to Jesus as a waiter working that day. And he did that. John Brack, on his wedding day, got to lead a young man to Christ. His life is forever changed. And let me tell you that that young man named Kaz, he is prepared for the day of the Lord. He is prepared. In fact, he said he's going to come to church today. He, he showed me his group text. He said, hey, man, I just texted and asked, you know, somebody could take my shift. I got to go to church tomorrow. He's going to be here. He told me not to make a big deal, so I won't. But, um, you know, he's, you know, but he's prepared for the day of the Lord. And there are people in our life who need to be prepared. Let us share Jesus. Let us share the truth. The one thing I told him is that Jesus is coming back. He's coming. He's coming back. And it may have spooked him a little bit, but, you know, it is the truth. And let us make sure that we do our part in helping others prepare for the day of the Lord. Amen? And as we, as we close out, verse 11, Paul says, Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another just as you also are doing. The last thing I'll say today is let us encourage people and remind people that Jesus is coming back. Let us Help, let us remind people to prepare for the day of the Lord. Let us all be ready. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, God, for the word of God in our life. And I just pray that today, Lord, that we would begin to prepare. Lord, as we continue to prepare for the day of the Lord. God, that we, God, would build the word of God. That we would build faith in us through the word of God. That we would put on love. Lord God, that we, God, would set our mind on our future hope. And Lord God, that we would share the truth. 
that you are coming back, Father. I pray that as we prepare for the day of the Lord, God, that we would be alert, watching, ready, God, that we would not be focused only on what's in front of us, but, Father God, that we would keep in mind, keep in perspective that one day you are coming back. Lord, help us to be ready, Father. God, bless your people today, God. We love you and we glorify you. In Jesus' name, if you believe that, say amen. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for this dynamic message from Pastor Marcus Dunham. Visit cotr.com and subscribe to our social media platforms to stay up to date. As well, receive more encouraging messages from our pastors and details of the work we're doing both in our community and communities like ours around the world. Today and every day, God bless.